Colossians chapter 4, please. Thanks for all the music today, Paul, leading us in this, these great songs of thanksgiving and appreciation for our, our great God and his work in our lives. Um, I just can't wait for Christmas music, too. So, not that I'm going to sing a solo right now or anything, but I'm excited about that. Um, I, I'm someone who enjoys Christmas music sometimes in August or June or something like that. Um, just because I like incarnation music. We sing Easter music all year round, don't we? It's like, man, give me some more Christmas music. All right. So that wasn't my message. Okay. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 4, please. And I'm going to do something a little bit backwards. I want to I touch on briefly just a couple of things from uh, the greetings in chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Uh, there's, there's not much here, and there's not much you can do with here. It's just kind of like... This is kind of the things that letters are made of. You know, you have, here's who's going to be carrying the letter, and here's who you're going to see, and accept these people, and say hi to these people kind of, kind of deals. But there is some interesting things that come out of this um, in verse 7. Look at, look at verse 7. This guy named Tychicus, he is the one that's carrying um, a letter or two. He will tell you, all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. I, I love a fellow servant in the Lord. I love looking at these texts like this and seeing like how the Apostle Paul like compliments people. You know, what, what does he say about people? What does he say when he looks at something? He's like, that is a faithful brother. A faithful minister, a fellow slave, if you will, um, in the Lord. I have sent him to you, verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. So, um, yeah, just in these couple of verses here, Paul is saying, these guys, I'm sending these guys back with these letters, with at least this letter here. And um, he's carrying a letter and he's going to, he's going, uh, uh, Tychicus is going to be reading it or somebody's going to have it read to the Colossian church. And this guy named Onesimus is with him. Just really interesting. Um, apparently, um, uh, he carried another letter that was directly to Philemon. And we have that in our canon, the letter to Philemon. In the letter to Philemon, we're told that Onesimus was a slave owned by Philemon, but he escaped. He ran away. He fled. Now, when I don't want to get too much into this unless I get a chance to preach through Philemon. It'll be a short one for a series. Well, preach through Philemon. Uh, but uh, now, when you think of the first century slavery, don't automatically think of the, br- the brutality of a much of American slavery in our history. It's much different. Now, there, there were a lot of differences. I don't want to get too much into that, but there were many wrong ways that it was still practiced in the first century. But Paul is trying to reorient even this kind of relationship that masters and slaves should have with each other, to reorient them. So, uh, verse 9, does that um, maybe give us a good lens as we look at this? I mean, just think, Onesimus is standing right there, and Philemon is in the crowd. And uh, Tychicus, or maybe Epaphras, is reading this, this letter from the Apostle Paul. And he says, Onesimus is our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. And in, in Philemon, he's going to go on and talk more about that. But um, he's saying, this, these master-slave, this master-slave relationship... Master and slave are brothers. The slave is one of you. The slave is our brother, if you will. Christmas song. The slave is our brother. So, but before, before that, so he's, gonna, he's greeting them. He's saying, you know, this is an example of how Colossians is actually worked out in real life. Like it's actually happening as they're taking the letters, as they're reading them, and these two people, they need to be reconciled in the gospel as brothers in Christ. 
even in a master-slave. That's a radical kind of reorientation. Great application as we think through, a great specific application as we think through the book of Colossians together. So, the book of Colossians, when we get to the end here in chapter 4, we come to verse 2 through 6. Um, this is the conclusion of the main body of the letter, driven by imperative. I told you this morning that in verse 6 of chapter 2, you see a transition from the indicative to the imperative. The, the indicatives, they're indicating something. They're saying something about Christ, about something, indicating. And then, Paul says, because of this, if you believe this, walk in this way. Live like this. He switches to commands. And this is kind of this is the tail end of those commands. So this the the um, the the section from chapter two verse six all the way through chapter four verse six, driven by imperatives, and you see these two imperatives at the end. He says, "You've submitted your life to Christ. How should this look? It should look like this: imperatives. Walk this way." And here's your final two imperatives. Look at chapter four verse two. The ESV says, "Continue steadfastly in prayer." Chapter two, chapter four, verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So these final two imperatives are persevere in prayer and walk in wisdom. Persevere in prayer, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Almost all the letters so far has been mostly inward looking. Focusing, one author says, it's focusing on relationships within the Christian community. Focusing on relationships within the home. Focusing on how you can change and you should change because of your belief in Christ and who He is. Now here, Paul turns our attention outward with these two commands. And the, the attention uh, turned outward, uh, the first command to, uh, um, uh, to con- persevere in prayer is to persevere in prayer and specifically is going to ask that you pray Paul says, for my um, evangelistic work. And then secondly, you walk in wisdom, he's going to focus in on on the church's evangelistic work. I I heard one person say recently, the gospel has come to you because because it's heading somewhere else. It's headed to somebody else. So it doesn't, the gospel message does not stop with you. We're ready, we're ready to spread this message of the gospel. So let's look at these two imperatives together. Persevere in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Make prayer a standard feature of the Christian life, of your life. Um, maybe you spend time praying before meals. Um, maybe, you, maybe you pray so fast so we can eat so fast. Would you, would you make that a meaningful prayer? Not vain kind of repetition. Not just thank you for the food, amen. Let's eat. Maybe, we did this for a while, maybe we need to go back to doing this. Maybe we ask, um, before we pray, who can we pray for tonight before we pray? There's somebody that we can spend some time, just one person, let's pray for them. It's probably always going to be grandma and grandpa or nana and papa, right? But who knows, who knows? Maybe uh, spend some time in significant prayer for somebody before you eat. A meal. Maybe you take advantage of that kind of cultural norm that we have gotten. Maybe um, we have gotten to a habit of praying before we eat. Take that and use it. Don't waste that time. the The sense of this command to 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 pray, to persevere in prayer, is to make prayer a habit with perseverance. Persevere in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There we are, back to our Thanksgiving theme. With thanksgiving. It, it reminds me of Luke chapter 18. We should always pray and not give up. Chapter 18, verse 1. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. It, it actually takes hard work to pray sometimes. It takes hard work. It takes discipline to pray to make a list, to think, to think hard about who in our church or in our family needs to be prayed for, specifically with needs in, in their lives. It, it takes work. Um, I feel like if I, if I didn't do that sometimes, there were people that I wouldn't pray for. So be specific. I'm, one thing my uncle told me 
a strategy that I uh, stick to on and off here is uh, um, pr- maybe pray for a particular person or a particular topic, a group of people on Monday. Maybe you pray for your family, um, your wife's side of the family on Mondays. Maybe your husband's side of the family on Tuesdays. Maybe you pray for your church people on Wednesdays. Maybe you pray for all the missionary families on Thursdays. I don't know, however you want to break that up. You just think through those kinds of things. Don't wait until you feel like it to do it. Set time in your day to pray. Make it a habit. I I like to pray right after I read the scriptures. Right, Right before I read the scriptures as well. How... Should we pray? Well, it says here, how should we pray? Look at verse 2 again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, persevere in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful with thanksgiving. So, you're watchful. That that term is actually often used in reference to the return of Christ. Be ready. be Be alert because Christ is coming soon. So our prayers should have this kind of sense, a sense of urgency, because Christ could return at any time. And His return motivates our prayers, draws us to our name. We, we pray with an urgency. Lord, work in our lives. Work in His life. Work in her life. Work in the lives of my neighbors and family members. Because I know you're coming soon. Beg the Lord to work. He is coming soon. This should drive us to our knees. Chapter 3, verse 4. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He's coming. He's coming soon. The second thing there is with thanksgiving. Thankfulness is a mark of a believer. And so it should be a mark of our prayer life as well. You, You ever know somebody that was just thankful all the time? Like, they always made it a point to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And then they do something just so meaningful to me when people are like, I had a friend growing up that was, that was like that. He was always just so thankful. And my mom would comment on that often. Um, he's, a very, he's still a very kind, kind man. Um, understanding what Christ has done for you, as we saw this morning, as we see in this letter, understanding what Christ has done for you will produce thankfulness. We will fall on our knees when we, when we begin to understand more and more, more fully the, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands has been canceled. And he set it aside. Chapter 2, verse 15. Verse 14. He set it aside, nailed it to a cross. That would cause us to fall on our knees and, and thank God. So as we pray, we're in thankfulness towards God, and we are being watchful. We are motivated and, to, um, and with a sense of urgency to pray. Um, uh, and you, you know, this, when we know what Christ has done for us, but we also need to remember that it starts with who Christ is. Knowing who Christ is. Remember we talked about that in chapter 1? Knowing exactly who Christ is. And when you look at chapter 1, verse 15 down to 20, you look at that text on who Christ is. And then you see He's this ruler and reigner of all creation. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is the ruler and He's the reigner of all things. And then you get to chapter 2 and, he's, and He says, He's canceled the record of your debt. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go to the bloody cross, but he did because of his love for the Father and his love for us. So thanksgiving is a motivator to pray, and our prayers should be filled with that thanksgiving. Look at, look at verse 3 and 4 with me. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I, may, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul moves from looking, um, Paul moves from looking outward uh, on his evangelistic ministry and moves to looking outward on his evangelistic ministry. So here, Paul requests that uh, they are persistent in prayers for him. And do you see what he does here? <laughs> he's, a, he's in prison, remember? 
He's in prison. And he prays for an open door. You would think that he would pray for an open door to his jail cell. Like, free me from this prison place. I don't want to be here. I'm in prison. But his prayer is not for that. His passion and his prayer is for an open door for what? The Word. An open door for the Word. Open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison. <laughs> so, oh man. Uh, he prays the door may open for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. Remember the mystery. Remember the mystery of Christ? Remember the mystery we saw in chapter 1? What's the mystery? Christ in you. And, in, and he simplifies it even farther, beginning of chapter 2. The mystery is Christ. You get Christ. That's the mystery that's been hiding for generations, was hiding for generations, and is for ages and generations is now being revealed. And we get to reveal that. Paul gets to reveal that, that mystery. And we, and we can't wait to tell people this. He can't wait to tell people this. But do you see why he needs much prayer? This is where he finally brings up the fact that he's in prison. On account of which I'm in prison, he says. Um, he's like, remember, this is why I'm in prison. So I, I think sometimes I have this idea that Paul's in, of, of Paul's in pr- imprisonment that's, that seems just a little bit kind of a casual setting. Maybe sitting back and he's writing letters and you know, getting along kind of just fine or whatever. Um, but and he's just free to talk to whoever. You know, he's preaching almost maybe. But he's saying, remember, this is why I went to prison. I went to prison for this particular thing and I'm about to do it again to the people that are watching over me. So pray for me. It doesn't seem smart, does it? It doesn't seem safe. I went to prison for proclaiming this gospel and these people that are watching over me, I don't really know them. I don't know what they can or will do to me, but I'm going to tell them about Jesus and that's why I'm in prison. So pray for me. Doesn't seem too smart, doesn't seem too safe, but it is. Paul brings up his imprisonment at this point in the letter, one author writes, to illustrate the power of God in opening doors for the gospel, even when humans conspire to close them. Think of creative access countries, creative access nations. We used to, we used to call them closed nations. We can't get in, we can't get in to, pray, to proclaim the gospel. Now we call them creative access countries because we have to get creative to get in there and access those countries to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love, I was reading one commentary and they reminded me of this text in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says to Timothy, For I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Man, I love that. God's word is not chained. So, did you see why he, what he asked them to pray for? There's two things. He asks, pray. He asks the Lord that asks the Lord that I'll have the right opportunity, an open door, the right opportunity to speak, when to say it, when not to say it, how to say it. And he asks, and secondly, he asks the Lord to give me clarity when I speak. Verse four, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Um, so that the word, the message, the mystery that Christ in you can be proclaimed. This is what will change people's lives. This is what will change people's families, people's nations. Give people the message of the gospel. Give people the word of God. Paul even goes to the point to say, it is necessary for me to speak. The ESV says, which is how I ought to speak. I mean, it's kind of softened in the ESV a little bit, but it is necessary. It's a really pow- that, that word is a really, it's a three-letter word. It's really short, but it's often used with a sense of div- divine determination. It is necessary for me to speak. Not only is Paul to proclaim this message, but so are we. So are we. We're to proclaim this message. In verse 5, he starts out, with how we should walk towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That's point number two. 
That is the imperative number two. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So when you think of unbelievers in your community, walk wisely. He could be referring to the false teachers that he's um, alluding to in chapter 2 especially. But more likely, he's referring generically to non-Christians because of the way we're called to deal with them here. So think about how you act around unbelievers. How you act towards unbelievers. Do you consider their well-being? Don't be rude or jerk to them. Show love and kindness to them. Because you love them. Stay engaged, one author says, stay engaged with your fellow citizens and seek to win them to Christ. No, don't pull away from your fellow citizens. Stay engaged with them and seek to win them to Christ. Making the best use of the time. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. One author author translated it, buy up all the time that is available to us. You You don't have much time with your neighbors. You don't know. You may not have much time with your coworkers. You have no idea when people will be moved or will just move. You have no idea when people will be transferred to wherever. There's an urgency here. Make the best use of the time. Pursue unbelievers. Pursue the outsiders. Um, there's, an, there's an urgency here. You, you, don't, you don't know where they'll move. But just think, if they had the message of the gospel with them, you don't, you don't know who your coworker knows and who they know and who they know and who they know. So you think of like, you think of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That seems a little bit overwhelming, like all nations. Like, we're going to go to all nations. But you don't know who your neighbor knows and who your neighbor's friends know and who your neighbor's friend's friends know. You don't know. So start there. Start there. Proclaim the gospel to people. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you have to speak. You have, you have to talk. They need to hear about Jesus, this good news. You can't just expect them to know the message of the gospel just by looking at your life. But your message ought not clash with your life, the way you live. So live graciously, but also speak graciously. Have gracious speech. Let your speech always be gracious. Be kind with your words. Don't be harsh. Speak gently and firmly. Maybe there's a difference sometimes between a gospel presentation and a gospel conversation. You're talking with somebody. You're listening. You want, you want to hear what they're saying and where they are. But you also want to speak the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make the gospel attractive with the way that you speak, even. Don't change the message, but speak graciously with people. Really, we really don't, we really, we really do think the gospel is attractive. Right? We, we really do. If the Lord's working, we think the gospel is attractive. We really do believe that the, the gospel is is a legitimate message and understood properly. Uh, it will attract unbelievers as the Lord works in their lives. It really is good news. It's good news. That's one reason why we don't, we don't do like a dog and pony show youth ministry. We don't, we don't put, up, put on a big production and squeeze Jesus in at the end. Like be attracted to this big show. Be attracted to here's this big show. Oh yeah, Jesus is cool too. There are many reasons for that, but one being that we really do think the gospel is attractive. We really think it is good news. We really think the Lord will work in people's lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So look, let, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let it be gracious, always gracious, seasoned with salt. It's a metaphor that's used often in the New Testament. It's actually used different ways in the New Testament, which makes it a little bit tricky. But it's in its basic sense here is that it's tasty. Our author says, one, one author says, winsome or witty, it, it's an attractive kind of speech. Without compromising the message, of course. 
be kind in your speech. Be an attractive kind of speech. Now, of course, you're, you're going to be rejected. God promises that. You're going to be direct, rejected by all kinds of people. Um, but just know that uh, the job of, of accepting Christ is up to God, not up to you, the proclaimer. We get to plant the seed, and then we get to rest our head at night and go to sleep. I think uh, I heard John MacArthur say, the theology of sleep is what he called that. It's like you, you proclaim the gospel in gracious speech, kind words, seasoned with salt, and let God work. And he promises that he will sometimes. Um, you may be rejected. You're going to be rejected. You're, you're going to, you may even lose out on some friendships. You, you may lose out on some kind of... Because they're maybe even offended by the gospel. But you've said it in a gracious way. You said it in a loving way. You're living a life of love towards them. You may be even imprisoned. It's okay. Remember where Paul's at? Paul's sitting in prison. He knows he should still share the gospel and with gracious speech seasoned with salt. Why? So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see that? That you may know how you ought to answer each person. The end of verse 6. You tie that to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That's where my mind goes directly. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. There we go. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. It's not a got you kind of message. It's not a trick you, it's not a trick you into praying a prayer kind of message. It's a proclamation of the good news of what Christ has done and is doing. In our lives and around the world. It's a sweet message of Christ taking our sins so we don't have to bear that burden. It's a gracious call for people to repent and believe in Christ. As Doug Wilson says, remember, you're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a person. So when you, when you see this, uh, you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's not about trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a person. Go after the person. Remember, you're not just trying to slam arguments or slam people, but you're trying to graciously tell them about a gracious, loving God. So can I give you just a couple points of additional application here? And by a couple, I mean five. (laughs) Number one, Pray regularly and faithfully. Make it a habit. Set your alarm clock right now. (laughs) Set your alarm clock tonight before you go to bed. Take prayer seriously. Pray urgently. You don't have much time. Pray that God will work in people's lives. Number two, pray for your brothers as they proclaim the gospel to people. See, Paul is asking people, pray for me as I, I, I need an open door to proclaim this gospel to someone. And that I might be clear. Do you pray for other people in the body this way? Do you know people right now that are pursuing people, pursuing their neighbors, their co-workers? Are you praying this way for people? As they proclaim the gospel. You're, you're part of a body. We actually all need each other. We're a team. Pray for each other. Lift each other up in this way. Pray. Number three, live wisely towards unbelievers. So, be careful how you live towards unbelievers. Be, be a good neighbor, a, a hard-working co-worker, if you will, because you're not working for a master here on earth, but you're working for the Lord. For the say in chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Love this last phrase, this last sentence here in verse 24. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's who you're living for. Be generous with your stuff, with your neighbors. Be generous with your things, your space, your cubicle, whatever it is. Be ready to serve people. Care more about their interests than your own. Count others as more significant than yourself. Philippians 2. 
Number four, speak gracious words towards unbelievers. Just be careful with the way you say things. Use kind words. Even if what you're saying is true, be careful how you say it. And be careful when and where you say it. Use kind and gracious words. Seasoned with salt. Number five, be ready to answer unbelievers. Know know the scripture, study theology, so that his name will be known among the nations. Know the word, study the word, study how people are attacking the word and be ready to give an answer. Get into the scriptures. Know exactly how you are believing, precise theology. So get get a theology book, maybe this Christmas, and study. Can I add one more? One more application? Number six, have a Christmas party. Okay? Have a Christmas party in your home in the next couple of weeks here. You know, we heard John Coates uh, say something about that this morning. And uh, what an opportunity it is. We had our Christmas party last year, Sunday after the concert um, last year. And uh, everyone that we invited came, um, except for one family, but they came to the concert. And uh, they're, they're probably our closest neighbor friends, actually. I mean, we invited people we didn't even know. And they came. And we're just like, oh, hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> I think we put on there like the neighbors with the chickens or something like that. That's us. So come knock on our door at this time. And so they did. And what an opportunity it is for us to speak into their lives, to get to know them because we love them and we want to speak gracious words towards them, live graciously towards them, walk wisely towards them, pray for their salvation, and call them to repent and believe in Jesus. So will you, will you consider doing that? I mean, it seems simple enough. I don't know. Uh, I think it would be a great opportunity for you as you get to know your neighbors and make that... Um, a regular thing in your community. Well, I hope, uh, I, I hope today has been an encouragement to you as you think about what Christ has done and these last two imperatives here in the book. As, he, as he's closing out his letter, he says, look, remember there's people around us too. We want to proclaim this gospel to them. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Persevere in prayer and walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Let's pray. Dear God, you've been so kind and gracious to allow us to be able to study this letter to the Colossian church. Lord, thank you for the way that this works out in real life as we consider our relationships with husband and wife, relationships relationships with our children, relationships um, with people around us, even our neighbors. And thank you that you can redeem all those relationships for your glory. As brothers come together, even if it's a slave-master kind of relationship, you're working. So Lord, we ask that you would use us as proclaimers of your message to our neighbors. We, We ask that you would use us to walk wisely towards them, to proclaim this news that we really think is good. This gospel message. What a great and glorious message it is. And Lord, as we speak truth to our unbelieving friends and family, maybe even this week, as we have opportunity, maybe many people in our church will be around unbelieving family in particular. As we think about this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas, a lot of interaction and a lot of reason to talk about Jesus. May we make the best use of the time. May we pray with an urgency and proclaim the gospel with an urgency because we know that you're coming. But we ask that you would just give us wisdom because it, it is hard to know how to speak and what to say and how firm and strong strong and forthright to be, but how, and how, how to say what we, we know we're, we should say 
and when to say it. Will you give us a boldness to proclaim this gospel? To call people to repent and believe in Jesus. So Lord, may we take advantage of this time that we have right now, this week, these next couple of months, to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond by standing to sing, completing the...